0: clever of a volcano ASA. My gosh they're all going against the wind It was
1: basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere This isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon.
0: Hey, this is Bryant Arnold, also known as Dragon from Skinwalker Ranch, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. Episode 13. As always, my name is Andy, and this week you're listening for the interview with Dragon, a.k.a. Bryant Arnold from Skinwalker Ranch. Really, really interesting interview, and you will definitely hear a different side to the man that you have followed if you've been watching the series on the History Channel, obviously Season 2 has just started recording, so that's due out in the next couple of months, round about October. But a fascinating chat with Brian Arnold, so one definitely not to be missed. This week, I just want to let you know what's coming up before you hear the interview. So it will be the final episode of the Skinwalker Watch Along, where myself and Dan, if you're following him at the Signal on Twitter, we are recapping the series, send us in any questions or your thoughts on the show as a whole. It's been really good, and me and Dan have got to know each other as we've recorded, and then we've got a few specials planned for after that as well. Episode 1 of TUP Talks got amazing feedback. Thank you, everyone who's listened. Please send in your questions for Episode 2. That will cover Episodes 3 and 4, if that makes sense, of Unidentified, once the fourth episode, Interplanetary Threat. Now, there is a name for a show. Airs on Saturday evening on History Channel. I hope everyone's been watching that and enjoying it as well. Really looking forward to that. I'm speaking to a guest on Monday... I will be tagging the interview with him onto TUP Talks Episode 2. He was someone who appeared on the third episode of Unidentified, so really look forward to that. I want to let you know that next week I will be interviewing Richard Lenny. Richard Lenny is a ufologist based in the UK, and I heard him a few years ago on a few other podcasts and radio shows. Really amazing to listen to. He has some of the best UFO footage I have seen through night vision binoculars. He's got video pictures and he now has some incredible photos of some daytime captures as well over different parts of the UK. So check him out on Facebook, Richard Lenny, but I'll be speaking to him next week. So you don't definitely don't want to be missing that one, folks. The Patreon is still up in live, Thanks to everyone pledging and supporting the show. You're helping me get a lot more content out much quicker as well. For anyone who has been paying attention, the last week I dropped five podcasts. I think this will be six and eight days, something like that. So that has definitely helped me get more content out as well. And it's great to hear people are enjoying it, or so many people are enjoying it. So if you can spare anything to pledge to the show, patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast. And anyone who signs up through the month of July or August, I'll send you out some free stickers for the show as well. You can stick them on laptops, cars, where I've just advertised mine. Again, it helps me out and it gives a little something back to you as well, with a lot more to come this month. Future guests will also be announced on Twitter in the coming weeks as well. I've got a few things in the pipeline, and just wait until they're 100% before I send those out there. So without further ado, quick advert for Shadows of Your Mind magazine. Please make sure you are following Shadows of Your Mind on Twitter. It's an incredible magazine put together by dave on his own it's round about 60 pages worth of content each release very very high quality with some of the biggest names in ufology being interviewed as well this show is in the first reissue since the magazine came back and there's a special feature coming up i won't ruin it yet for you but you'll want to keep an eye on that one for the second issue coming out pretty soon so make sure you're following shadows of your mind magazine and you're downloading your free copies online as well so here we go folks After a quick message, it's Brian Arnold, aka Dragon, from Skinwalker Ranch. Have you ever looked
0: up to the skies and seen something you can't explain? Or walked deep in the forest and sensed something watching you? Do you believe in an afterlife or a hidden veil that can communicate with the living? Then you need Shadows of Your Mind magazine. Download all issues completely free at shadowsmagazine.co.uk. Shadows of Your Mind where your search for the answers
1: begins. Hi folks, welcome back after that short message. And joining me on the line now is one of the most anticipated interviews I've had in the, the short-lived li- uh, run of the podcast so far. It is the st- one of the stars of The Secret of Skinwalker Ranch, or if you're in the UK, The Curse of Skinwalker Ranch. And the head of security, you may know him uh, as Dragon, I have Bryant Arnold on the line with me. Bryant, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome.
1: Um, I have to ask, do you prefer Bryant or Dragon?
0: (laughs) You can call me whatever you choose. That was not a self-given nickname, um, but it has stuck, and it probably rolls off the tongue a little easier than Bryant Arnold does. So if you want to call it Dragon, I'm fine with that.
1: Cool. So I have to ask, how did the Dragon nickname come about? Yeah,
0: that's a question I get a lot. Um, As I mentioned, it's certainly not a self given nickname. Uh, It came about due to, well, somewhat of the previous ownership Bigelow era and some of the security guards that he had out here, as well as um, some folks that tried to come visit the ranch and were not allowed to be on the ranch and then have an online presence and decided to make up a few interesting stories. So I guess the long and short is I'll just walk through it. Um, previously, Bigelow, um, during the Bigelow era, he hired former, you know, military, uh, you know, special forces, whatever, black ops guys. I don't know exactly um, who they were, but I guess one of them had codename Dragon. And he was known to be rather uh, violent and, I guess, um, pretty tough to deal with. And so we had some people come to the ranch that wanted access to the property, and I couldn't let them do that. And uh, so you know, we had a what turned into somewhat of a heated discussion, because many of the enthusiasts feel like, because they have an interest in the property, they have, they should have a right to be on the property. But at the end of the day, it's private property. And you know, my job is to, you know, maintain the scientific integrity of the ranch. And, you know, make sure that we don't have any undue liability or injuries or anything like that, because it's a dangerous place on its own, regardless of any any type of phenomenon that's going on here. So anyway, they weren't happy. They left. They, you know, are online enthusiasts and talked about, you know, how they got run off the property by this guy that, you know, was belligerent and drawing his weapon and all that. which. Did not happen. You know, I did not, you know, brandish my weapon or anything like that. I just basically told them in no uncertain terms that they couldn't be here. And so with that, uh, they started talking about it online and the online chatter went back and forth. And then someone chimed in and said, yeah, I've heard of that guy. He's a loose cannon. They call him dragon. And so that bounced back and forth. And there are all these stories about me allegedly doing all this crazy stuff to people that were trying to trespass on the property. well, Brandon, the owner of the property, being a friend of mine for 30 years, uh, got wind of this nickname and, and thought it was pretty funny and, and liked it. So he started referring to me as Dragon. And so he would introduce me as Dragon to people that came on the ranch and production got wind of it. And so it kind of stuck. And so that's where I am. It, it wasn't one of those instances where I introduced myself and said, Hey, my name is Brian. You can call me Dragon or anything like that. It it just kind of evolved, and and you know now it's it is where it is. But you'll never hear me refer to myself as that when I introduce myself. But I'm okay with it. If people want to call me that. It's it's recognizable, and I'm all right with that.
1: Listen, as far as nicknames go, and that's a cool story. Uh, it's it's not a bad nickname we have, and I do appreciate you referring to people trying to go onto the ranch as enthusiasts. That's a very diplomatic yeah. term. Um, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so um. You've kind of touched on it a little bit, but what I'd like to know is what was your journey that led you to eventually working on the ranch? I know you've got a, a long friendship with Brandon, which I'm guessing has played a massive part in it, but if you talk us through the backstory.
0: Yeah, so um, honestly, you know, I grew up in Utah, not, out, not here in the Uinta Basin where the ranch is located, and I had read a few little things in some books I'd read about, you know, haunted Utah and places in Utah that had interesting things. So I'd heard a tiny little bit about Skinwalker Ranch, but you know, it wasn't something that I was, you know, terribly curious about, but I'd heard about it. And then in 2016, uh, as I mentioned, Brandon and I have, have known each other since we were about 19 years old. Um, Brandon came to me and told me that he was, you know, thinking about purchasing, this piece of property known as Skinwalker Ranch. And, you know, I had to go back in the Rolodex of my mind and, and be reminded as to exactly what Skinwalker Ranch was. And, and knowing Brandon the way that I do, I mean, this is an individual that doesn't even own a pair of, of jeans. You know, he's dressed in Armani suits and $300 shoes and all the time. And, and my question to him was, so you want to buy 512 acres out in the middle of nowhere, a ranch for what? And, uh, so he told me a little bit more about it and, you know, gave me a little bit more of the backstory on the ranch and the opportunity there. And, you know, so I helped him a little bit with, um, looking into the prospect of purchasing it and what, you know, some of the logistics and things like that were. Um, and, and so, you know, I said, "Well, what is this for for you?" And he said, "I just want to see if you know any of this is real." I mean, I think honestly, as as kind of an agnostic to the whole topic, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily a disbeliever, but I had never had any sort of experiences. So I said, "Well, I, I guess it looks like a cool piece of property, and you know, if that's what you want to do with your money, who am I to say otherwise?" And so um you know he purchased the ranch and then he knows that I have a background in uh the outdoors and weapons and and you know and things of that nature I do not have a law enforcement background um, or a military background but I do have um I have taken uh you know personal and private security training and have done a little bit of work like that for him in the past and in other venues and so he asked if I would come out and take a look and see what it would take to secure the place and, you know, what the logistics of something that like that may look like. And so, you know, in the beginning, it was it was just kind of that. And we, we looked at the infrastructure that was left behind and it, was, it wasn't very good. The front gate when Bigelow had it was pretty much just a cattle gate, a cattle guard with, you know, a, ch- a padlock around it. So, you know, we contracted to get, You know, the front security gates that people have seen images of put in and working with Thomas um, and Jim Morse to be able to get the public right of way that actually ran through the property. A lot of people don't know there was a public easement right of way that ran through. And when Bob Bigelow owned the place, he just shut it off illegally and kind of, you know, had his armed guards out there making sure people can't get on. So we went about it the right way. We got that easement taken and made it, you know, no more public access and things like that. And then as time went on, you know, more and more interest came to be, and he invested more and more in the science of the place. And, you know, my role as kind of just, you know, an advisor morphed more into, you know, head of security, as well as helping with, you know, the day-to-day operations on the ranch. I guess my technical role is the head of security, but, you know, I, I help with all sorts of things you know, ranch associated with. It's pretty much myself, Eric Bard, and Tom Winterton that are kind of the brain trust, along with Brandon that that handle the day to day operations on the ranch.
1: Awesome. Um, what What was a nineteen year old Brandon Fugo like?
0: <laughs> he was, you know, he was he was always been a very driven individual, but you know and. Look, the way that I, that I describe Brandon, to me, he's the same 19 year old kid. And I've, because the way that he, you know, he's, he's old, he's extremely successful. You know, he's a giant in his industry and has made an incredible name as well as, you know, a substantial estate for himself. Um, but to me, I always describe him as, you know, the most successful 17 year old kid that I know because you know, he's so heart driven. He does a lot of things on emotion and he likes to have fun. You know, he's not one of those type of people that is strictly driven by, you know, money and wealth and everything like that. He, he does, you know, things like Skinwalker Ranch or, you know, likes his cars or likes adventures, loves music, all that different kind of stuff. And so he's still, you know, he's extremely, he's, he's been one of those people that once we got to know each other and understood each other. He's one of those friends that I know will do anything for me and knows that I'll do anything for him. And it's been, you know, an amazing relationship to build, but yeah, he was just that same, you know, enthusiastic, interested, you know, inquisitive, um, fun loving individual that he is today.
1: Awesome. He seems a very genuine guy. Uh, on Twitter, he does a lot of charity things, and he sees some yeah, stuff. It, he puts up pictures that kids draw of him and things like that. So, yeah, he seems yeah, really no, he, cool.
0: Yeah, no, he is. He's, you know, he people look at him and they look at his success and they and they, you know, try to make their own assessments of who he is and and whatnot. But I'll tell you, he is an extremely loyal individual. And he's a very genuine individual, and yeah a lot of people would shy away from it, but he he engages with you know with people on twitter and and other you know social media outlets and at the end of the day, he truly does want to share the information because for so long it was you know stories and everything was kept kind of you know close to the vest, and we really didn't inherit any information we we inherited stories and we inherited you know, sort of a narrative and a backstory as to the ranch, but as far as any hard data or, you know, findings or anything like that, that's to this day has still been sealed away at Bigelow Aerospace. And so we kind of had breadcrumbs that we've had to kind of chase around to, to, you know, to do our own type of investigation. So yeah, he's, he's dedicated to Skinwalker Ranch and he's invested a lot in both the infrastructure and the people and, you know, the equipment and everything that's here. And and he, he truly does. He wants to get to the bottom of what's going on and, and in doing so isn't looking to just keep it in his pocket.
1: Yeah, and that's benefiting the rest of us. Um, so I want, you've touched on it very slightly, but what was your previous knowledge of the ranch and the myth and the lore behind it? You say you grew up in Utah, but maybe mm-hmm. not necessarily near the Uinta Basin.
0: Right. So... Yeah, I, I knew very little. Um, there was a book, I don't know when it was written. In fact, Brandon probably was the one that gave it to me. Um, and it's called Haunted Utah that talks about interesting and strange places um, around, you know, within the state of Utah, whether it be paranormal, you know, supernatural type of things. And so I read, you know, it, it really consisted of maybe one or two chapters or, or a single chapter within this book. So I knew a little bit about it with that, but that was about it. I have spent a lot of time in the Uinta Basin, uh, you know, on hunting and fishing trips, and camping, and and spending time in the outdoors, which I enjoy. Um, and so, you know, you've heard stories of of UFOs within the Uinta Basin, but as far as the ranch itself, I it didn't have a really strong, you know, back knowledge of it. And so, once you know Brandon purchased it obviously I wanted to know more about what it was that we were dealing with or that had allegedly we've been dealing with on this brought or that they had been dealing with on this property. So I picked up, um, George Knapp and Colm Kelleher's book, uh, you know, the hunt for the skinwalker and I read it and, you know, it was, it was interesting and fantastic and, you know, had a lot of really amazing stories in it. But, you know, again, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of, was more of an agnostic um, when it came to the subject of, you know, UFOs and paranormal activity because I really hadn't experienced anything for myself in my life. But again, I also, you know, call it a religious background, whatever. I always felt that we weren't alone in the universe and that there was more life out there than what we just knew as a human race. And you know, I'd seen you know, various things on television and the internet and and so on and so forth of other people's experiences. So with that, I think it helped me because I came into the ranch with an open mind and, you know, but I also was not going to take any little thing and try and become part of a narrative until I actually had my own personal experiences. Because first off, you know, my main job is to make sure that the people that are here are safe that the equipment stays safe. And so if I'm always jumping at every twig that breaks or peering at the sky, looking for something to happen, you know, that takes away from that ability. Um, And I didn't want to be, I didn't want to fill my mind necessarily with all sorts of things that that would hamper my ability to do that. But again, if I have an experience, then, you know, I know that it's something that I will 100% stand behind and, And I know that it will be genuine and true because I'm not just going to start making stuff up just because I happen to be associated with a place that has a history of that.
1: Awesome. Um, So you've mentioned a lot about the outdoors and your love of nature and camping. And I believe you're an Eagle Scout as well from the (laughs) the background that I checked out.
0: (laughs) That's correct. Yes, an Eagle Scout.
1: So would uh, Dragon or Bryant, before you got involved with Skinwalker Ranch, would you have spent a month out in the middle of the ranch yourself at night comfortably not expecting any kind of strangeness to go on? Or would you still have had a bit of a trepidation as to possibilities? And I don't mean like the the ranch wildlife and mountain lions or whatever else might sure. be out there.
0: Um, well, you can't help it, right? Because you hear stories and your mind is the most powerful thing that you have for good and for bad i would say and so um you know in the beginning because i it, it it was it took a long time for me to have any kind of experience on skinwalker ranch but you know even just the ranch itself it can be a bit of a creepy place without all the lore but then you mix those stories in that you hear about you know portals and these dire wolf creatures and, you know, all sorts of shapeshifters, and, you know, the whole score, the whole lore of the skinwalker and everything like that. Sure. You know, I, I definitely would have had some trepidation of being by myself for, you know, say like you mentioned a month time camping out in the middle of the ranch, given that back history. Now, if it was just a piece of property that I didn't know anything about, then I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it because I I enjoy time in the outdoors like that.
1: Okay. And you mentioned like before you had an experience on the ranch. So was your first experience before the cameras started rolling?
0: Yeah, I'd had a couple of small experiences um, prior to that. I mean, I've had a lot of times where, I mean, I guess you could call it an experience, but not necessarily seeing something. There are times the ranch feels almost like I, it almost feels like a place that has a bit of a split personality, if you will. I don't know if that makes sense. But some days um, on the ranch, it is the most peaceful, amazing place. I feel like I'm in the middle of an old Western movie. you know The sun is shining and you've got the mesa and the fields and, and it just feels amazing. And I'm just taking in the outdoors. And there's other times where I'll go to certain places or there's certain days on the ranch where all the hair on my body will stand on end and i just get a really dark and ominous feeling um you know almost a sense of call it inner fear or danger or a darkness or, or just a a bad vibe i guess for lack of a better term and so you know i i generally will try to remove myself from those areas during that time um some people say not me i would go poking around looking you know and see what's happening but you know given what's happened with Thomas and his injury and some of the other things, you know, um, yeah, it's, it, it's interesting because some days I feel great. Other days I, I want to get the hell off of the property as quickly as possible. Um, just because of a feeling, but, um, as far as experiences go, um, there was, you know, when I'm here working, I stay on site, you know, i in the command center. I have a bedroom that's set up for myself. And, um, so I was spending the night and was wide awake. I was actually just fiddling around on my, on my phone, passing the time before I went to sleep. And, um, you know, I was the only one around and all of a sudden I was laying in bed and it was as if somebody came and kneed the side of my bed, shook the entire bed. Um, as if I do you know, people that have children, their kid will come up and knee them in the side of the bed or jump on the bed and it shakes the bed and startles you. And and that happened, shook the bed, and I that was so strange. I couldn't figure out. So I got up and walked around to see if anyone was there, and you know there was absolutely no one there. It was a calm night. You know it wasn't anything else that really could have happened. Um, and so you know obviously that night's sleep was a little bit less, hey uh, you know peaceful. Um, so I had that experience, which you know made me stop to think. Because you've heard about, you know, if you re- if you've read the stories and things people talk about, almost poltergeist, poltergeist-ish type, uh, you know, experiences that they've had, and uh, you know, so that made me wonder. Um, there was another experience that I had when I was actually assisting uh, Eric Bard, our, you know, our principal investigator, with um, some scientific thing the Bigelow folks left behind. Um, Their old cameras, they had these, you know, kind of fisheye type cameras that they had secured to some of the power poles um, out and we were getting funny reflections off of them, these, you know, glares and things that was messing with some of our own equipment we installed. So Eric asked if I could go and remove, you know, a couple of those cameras off of the poles. So I went out um, to the field where one of those was mounted And I was on, it was, you know, it was probably about 25, 30 feet in the air. So I had an extension ladder, an aluminum extension ladder that I leaned up against the pole. And I had a reciprocating type saw because the old bolts that were holding them on, I had to cut them off. So I climbed up the ladder, everything was fine. And I started cutting away on this camera, on the bolts that were holding this camera. And, you know, it makes quite a vibration and things like that. And so I stopped. And all of a sudden, the ladder that I was standing on started to vibrate almost as, in, as if in response to the vibrations I was making. I thought, that's strange. So I put my hand up on the, on the wooden power pole to see if it was just something coming through the, you know, the, the power lines or something like that. And it was, it was, there was no vibration there. It was just strictly the ladder that was touching the ground that was vibrating. And so you know, it stopped. So I started cutting again, and as soon as I stopped, then the almost as in response, the ladder started vibrating again. But you know, the pole was not. So I don't know, you know, where it was coming from—the vibration reverberating up through the ladder, through the ground, or something like that. But that was another one of those experiences that I would consider strange and and, unusual for me. But uh, you know that, and aside from some of the feelings I felt, that was kind of the extent of it. I used to actually joke saying that, you know, if you want things to happen on Skinwalker Ranch, you better not have me around because it seems like whenever I'm there, nothing happens. And, you know, I will I would be there for weeks at a time and then I would leave for the weekend and all of a sudden we'd pick up a whole bunch of things on our camera, our surveillance, whatever, and people would talk about seeing things and then I'd come back and the place would go quiet again. And I even joked with the production company when they first Came to us and were talking to us about the possibility of doing, you know, this docu series on the ranch. And I said, "Well, are you sure you want me to be a part of this? Because it seems like nothing happens when I'm on the ranch." So that that had been my experience leading up to. But then, you know, during the filming, um, and and those of you that have watched and and yourself, you know, when when we were firing the rockets and and we had we saw, you know, what I would consider UFOs and show up. Um, you could tell it really shook me. You know, it actually had almost a physical effect on me because my mind was racing because I couldn't make sense of what I was seeing. And it, it's unfortunate that we didn't get better footage of the main UFO that I saw. But you know, to this day, I will, you know, I'll I'll take it to my grave. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. And you know, the cool thing was that I had other witnesses there. We did get some footage on camera, and you know, we had the the cattle that. Reacted the way that they did at the time, as well as you know some of the instrumentation. But that's definitely that experience is the most profound one I have had here on Skinwalker Ranch.
1: You know, I won't jump ahead too much, but that's something I'll talk about. Was when you you see the UFO, and I've actually got it in my notes uh, myself and a co-host Dan that I have. We do a Skinwalker Watch Along where we basically. Uh Each episode in real time and we make notes about it and discuss it as it's happening and just kind of talk about it and it do you know what it's great numbers and people love it um and on that episode we noted how you looked so excited like a kid that you'd saw a <laughs> ufo and you genuinely seemed like you know on these shows it can be and I'll, I'll touch on this later but overly dramatized at times and the music comes in and it's sort of for effect but you could tell it was really genuine the way you were reacting to this thing in the sky and like you say that it's typical ufo uap you know footage of a bloody object in the sky and it's always different when you see it with your own eyes but mm-hmm. what was it like that we didn't get to see then on on the actual episode since we've touched on it I might as well talk about that point now
0: yeah so i mean you are right it it really was it, it was an exciting thing because even travis taylor who had you know, been here just a short time Had had experiences that, you know, to him, someone that came in as such a skeptic, I mean, he, he told us we were all crazy when we met him because he didn't believe any of it because he has such, you know, he's, he's such a scientific mind and things like that. And for him to have experiences, I was, you know, I was, I was a little bit irritated, to be honest with you, the fact that I still had not have had an experience. So yeah, that it definitely was a genuine reaction. It was exciting and it was, you know, surprising. And, you know, I remember calling my family afterward and they said, you look like you're, you know, white as a ghost. And I because I had portrayed to them, I'm like, I just saw a UFO and I don't know what to think about it. But yes, going back to, to, to your question. So after we had shot the rockets off, um, I looked up, you know, kind of in the horizon um, about mid skyline. And it looked like, you know, with the production, we have drone operators that fly drones around and things like that. And, and, uh, at first I saw something appear kind of like a darker silhouette that at first my mind, because I, I try to think in the rational mind all the time appeared to me as if it was, you know, a drone in the sky. And as it moved and got closer into sight, well, first off, I looked over and I saw that Anthony, our drone operator, was holding his drone in his hand. So I knew that it wasn't the drone. And I said, what in the world is that? And you know, you, you kind of saw everybody say, what is that? And, point. and so what it appeared to me like was at first somewhat of a dark object. And as it got closer in sight, it either turned or, you know, the way the light reflected off of it, it glinted really bright as if it you know, it, as if it was putting off its own type of light or if it was a metallic object that was reflecting, you know, the sun's light and it turned and it kind of had, you know, that somewhat of an oval type shape to it. Um, and it stayed in one spot for a matter of four five, six seconds. And at one point it turned and glinted extremely bright. So it became Became very, very illuminated. And then I uh, just sat there and slowly, almost as if it shrunk down to a speck and then either, you know, disappeared or went somewhere or what, but almost like it shrunk down into a speck and then was gone. Um, it, it's hard to, you know, it's kind of hard to explain. Here I am making all these hand signals and I know this is a podcast <laughs> trying to explain what I saw, but uh, it, it definitely. Um, you know, made an impact and it wasn't just a little, you know, white spot in the sky moving around or anything like that. It definitely was something more, it, it had a little bit more of, you know, of a craft type shape to it, to me, to my eye and to some of the other witnesses as well. Um, I asked some of the production people to draw a picture of what they saw because some of them turned around and saw it. Um, and and, and, you know, they, what I described was pretty much what they saw as well. So, you know, that helped me realize, look, I wasn't just seeing this in my mind's eye or, or something of that nature. It was definitely ten, something tangible that I'd seen. And with that, you know, again, my heart rate was racing and my blood pressure went up and it, it almost, I got the sense of almost being most motion sick. And I don't know if, you know the scientists speculate whether that was you know the electromagnetic anomalies that we were measuring at the same time or if it was just personally I think it was an adrenaline rush and my own you know mind and body reacting to something that I really didn't have a, an explanation for that that made tangible sense
1: absolutely it was a very cool moment as well to be to be caught on camera so Jumping back slightly then, what was your day-to-day life like before the cameras started rolling? So your, it was yourself, Jim Morse, Thomas Winterton, and Eric Bard, am I right? Before uh-huh. all the rest of the crew joined. So what would your day-to-day lives be like without the cameras there?
0: Uh, it's pretty much, um, you know, this is a working ranch and, you know, it it there's a lot of, of interest in the place too. So, I mean, my day-to-day consisted of Um, obviously patrolling the perimeter and, uh, you know, making sure that we don't have a bunch of trespassers. Um, So that as well as, you know, at various times there are visitors to the property. Um, Plus we do have caretakers that live on the ranch as well. Um, And so, you know, making sure that if we do have guests that, you know they feel comfortable, and so you know I would follow them around and and you know show them around, and then a lot of a lot of my time is spent helping uh, Eric, you know, installing equipment and managing the equipment that we have here, as well as helping Thomas with, you know, the miscellaneous things that he does on the ranch. He's an amazing. I mean, the amount of work he has put into this property is is nothing short of amazing, and so you know sometimes you need an extra set of hands and. You know, help with that type of things. I've helped with procuring the vehicles that we use on the property, um, and then you know, a lot of of what I do is I I'm constantly keeping Brandon updated on what's happening on property and you know the goings on because he and I are you know friends first and foremost, and he trusts me that you know I'll make sure that every he's up to date on everything and and that you know things are taken care of, but. You know, it's a lot of long days, um, some boring days of just you know cruising back and forth in the vehicles or, or on foot or whatever it may be. Um, there's a lot of exploring to do, which has been fun. You know, we found some really neat places and 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 things on the ranch, uh, and you know, I guess just pretty much doing whatever needs to be done, taking care of whatever needs to be done. But you know, definitely a lot of of time boots on the ground and and. And spending a lot of time checking out all different areas on the property and things of that nature.
1: Awesome! I will back up the how much work Thomas Winterton done because that was <laughs> the first thing I discussed with him. Was you know what as a ranch superintendent and what kind of stuff did you do? And he, he almost listed off everything he'd done in setting things up on the ranch. And I was amazed that yeah.
0: the cabling oh, yeah.
1: that was laid and you know and l- like you have mentioned, what really surprised me was how run down the ranch was when Bigelow left and how outdated the equipment was and things were just rotten and just left. So that surprised me that it was left to just go that way towards the end.
0: Yeah, I think for the last several years, you know, three or four years, I don't think that he I mean he he staffed it with a couple of security, you know, guards and then they had the older caretaking couple that was here. But, you know, I was I was surprised as well with basically what we inherited was an old, uh, double wide trailer that was, you know, not very well equipped or in very good condition and, you know, and old equipment and things like that. And, and I don't know if it was just a matter of, you know, he'd gotten what he wanted out of the property and then finally decided that, you know, he'd had enough or what it was, but yeah, with, without Thomas Winterton, this, I, I don't know how we would have gotten the place to where it is, you know, a lot of kudos definitely go his way. He's, he's really talented and he's a hard worker. So yeah, we're grateful we have him.
1: So just to segue into talking about the, the show and the production crew arriving on the ranch, did you mm-hmm. prefer the ranch without the TV show being filmed or what, what's, what's your preference? Um,
0: so it's kind of, I, as far as how, much extra, I guess, I don't know complications and, you know, and things there are to do with the It was definitely, it's definitely simpler without, without production on site. There's no question. I mean, we're talking, you know, a crew of over 30 individuals that, you know, you have to look out for and make sure that, you know, they're staying in line with what they should be doing and that, you know, they're taken care of and everything like that. Um, so it, it definitely complicates things. It makes it a little more difficult when, you know, you want to be able to go about your normal duties and you have to be quiet because someone's interviewing somewhere or because something else is going on or, you know, with Travis wanting to try about 50 million experiments and try and, uh, you know, keep up with that sort of thing and everything else. Um, so it definitely complicates things, but on the other side, um, as i think thomas mentioned it's interesting when you bring new people onto the ranch the ranch seems to kind of liven up a little bit and whether it's a curiosity thing whether it's an energy thing i don't know what that is but definitely more events start happening and 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 there's more life on the property when it comes to you know the phenomenon or whatever it is that you want to call it that is associated with this place and plus you know it's nice to have new people around too you know, it can be it can get a little bit lonely at times out here when it's just yourself or yourself and one other individual or just you and the dog. You know, it was nice to be able to have more people from different places to add, you know, different ideas on things as well as to get to know and, and we've been really fortunate. Um, the production staff has been really good. They've been very, very respectful and you know, a lot of them have become close friends and you know, and and Travis. Is one of those. I know that the way that the television show kind of portrayed, you know, our relationship a little bit it was a little bit adversarial because he had his ideas, I had my mandates, and the things that I was told weren't going to happen when we were on property, and we kind of butted heads, and you know, I kind of got it made it look like we didn't like each other. Where which actually is very far from the truth. Travis and I have become very very good friends. We have a lot in common. Um, you know, just from just our core, who we are and and what we enjoy and things like that. And, and we communicate on a weekly basis and and get along great. So from that, I'm grateful I've made new friends and had great experiences with these people that I otherwise without the TV show would have never had the opportunity to, you know, associate with, with a lot of the folks that were brought onto the property. And, you know, you know, Travis included, he's, He's a dear friend and, and you know, I think we'll be friends for life regardless of if there's a TV show or not.
1: So you've ruined my next couple of questions of why do you hate <laughs> Travis? Uh, no, no I, I, I did have down there, and this is something I spoke to Thomas about, that it, it seems a little bit, and this is something I think was fair and I, I love the show, but I'll, I'll, I'll always be honest about it. There were times where it seemed like you say it had that, it's a reality tv show in a sense as well as being a documented scientific study mm-hmm. and there were times where the headshots and the dramatic and i'll do if again it's a podcast but you know pff, and it's like, yeah, you can almost, it's like exactly. you've made that noise yourself and some of the headshots thomas had said himself yeah it was maybe the reaction they're showing was a reaction from two minutes before that comment was made and it just it fits in nicely but it's something you've got to expect when you're doing that kind yeah. of show and they, they absolutely portrayed you and Travis as having this bit of a button of heads.
0: And and we did, I mean, we didn't agree on certain things and he wasn't happy with the fact that, you know, there were certain things he wanted to do that I was shutting down until we got further, you know, sign off from Brandon and things like that. But yes, uh, I can think of one time in particular and, and I told the, you know, production, <laughs> That you know, they only edited me with my resting bitch face on, or scowl, or something like that, because you know there was a time where he was explaining after he'd had that incident in the night when you know he was awoken in his trailer and and things like that, and he was explaining the wormhole phenomenon that he I was, had. I was going to say, it and the wormhole thing, <laughs> and and the thing about it though is people need to know that that little five minute clip was actually close to three hours of Thomas. I mean, excuse me, not Thomas Thomas was there, but Travis and Jim Segala explaining the deep, deep dive into quantum entanglement and all of this crazy stuff. And that shot that they took of me with the most confused look on my face when he, you know, they, they he said it could be a wormhole and they panned to me and it shows like I'm the most confused individual. no, and that made sense. That was from him talking about if you, now if I spin a basketball on this side of the court and somebody else spins a basketball over on this side of the court and they're spinning at different rates than the quantum entanglement. I mean, and I was like, what in the hell are you talking about? And so that's why I pulled that face. But yet because it was a, you know, I guess they looked at it as, you know, a good shot for, for that type of a thing, that facial expression was edited into, you know, that, and look, I make the faces that I make. I know I've been told I'm very expressive with that sort of thing. But, you know, you take three hours worth of filming and you condense it into a, you know, five to seven
1: minute clip of television and it's bound to happen, I guess yeah I th- people like that though that you've got that honesty and I, I think you blow up later in the series about the because you don't yeah. have a P- it's something about not having a phd but oh yeah I think anyone would get that kind of frustration when you're in there with all these really intelligent people and it's not that you don't necessarily understand the gist of what they're talking about but when they must go into some of the detail that they do and it's just like a yeah you're just you're talking a different language. You literally might be talking a different language. And that that must be frustrating because, like you say, we see a 30-second clip and our dragon's kicking off, but it's maybe been two hours of conversation where you've had to sit just tapping (laughs) your pen off the table. Is that more realistic?
0: Yeah, it is. And, you know, yeah, that whole thing, yeah, I had gotten irritated because, you know, again, the big thing is everyone wanted to, you know, dig, 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 dig. And, and it was Brandon's mandate to me that because of what we'd inherited lore wise and what had happened with Thomas and things like that, that that was going to be one of the last resorts. And so, you know, when one of the very first things that Travis talked about doing was digging, it kind of put that, you know, I kind of got labeled the, the anti-digging guy and I've taken a lot of heat for it and that's okay. But at the end of the day, that was, that was me following the mandate of the owner of the property And being willing to be that equal opportunity asshole, if you will, and, and not be afraid to say anything to people, even, you know, whether they are as credentialed as the scientists are or anything like that, ultimately the health and safety of everybody falls on my shoulders. And so, you know, I wasn't going to back down from that. And yes, when I blew up and kind of dropped the effing PhD line, if you will, um it was because i had tried to get my point across and i kept getting cut off and then finally was told well you know i want to hear what they have to say so basically stop talking and you know i'm part of the day-to-day operations here i'm i'm hands on it's not just and i know that's another question people are like why does the security guy even have anything to say they don't understand the relationship that i have with the owner of the property and what's been asked of me to do and so with that yes, I am going to have a say because I've been asked to have a seat at the table. And so when I was trying to get at least my point across and my concerns across and I kept getting cut off, that was when I kind of had had enough. And it was, it was a long discussion. And, you know, finally I, I snapped and of course they jumped all over that one. And, you know, in hindsight, do I wish I would have, you know, been a little bit more political about that? Probably so, but I'm an emotional guy. I kind of say it how it is, you know, what you see is what you get. And, you know, for better or for worse, that's that's how it came out.
1: And for better or worse, it made good TV. And I'm sure the production <laughs> crew loved you for it as well.
0: Oh, yeah. No, yeah. They, I, well, they didn't say anything during the time. But, you know, after the fact, I'm sure that they loved having that bite uh, to put in there. And, you know, I took heat from my mother, who's pretty conservative <laughs> about, about, you know, the, the cursing. on camera but but she knows you know she's known me since you know forever and knows that i'm kind of that way if i don't have much of a filter if you will and sometimes it serves me well and other times it it doesn't so well
1: listen i've got to ask do you feel you've got a role there as head of security and an advisor and do you feel you've got another role to play as a character on a tv show and I don't mean that you have to be someone you're not, but do you feel any kind of obligation that the cameras are on and they're maybe hard to ignore? So decisions you make could be influenced by that? I mean it's
0: you know, that that is a good question. And you know, I try to just be myself um, throughout and but it is hard to ignore the cameras being there. You know, you've got several cameras pointed at you and you know, there'll be times when you know, they want you to repeat something you've said because someone, you know, there was noise or something like that. And so it, it definitely does, you know, influence some of the things that you say. In fact, it probably helped or there would have been a lot more bleep outs probably (laughs) um, knowing that, you know, there was, everybody was listening and that there was cameras on there. Um, Did it influence me to, you know, play anything up or act any differently. I don't think so. Um, I didn't want, you know, I, I wanted to be genuine as, as I could and just, and just be who I am. And, you know, anybody that knows me knows that, you know, that's kind of who I am. And, and granted if, if people would have seen the countless hours of, of footage, they would have seen me laughing and joking and cutting up just like anybody else does because, you know, sarcasm is a big part of who I am. And, you know, I like to, I enjoy making people laugh and and things like that. And there was a lot of that, you know, on set because you've got a group of people there and you're spending that much time. But, you know, obviously the production had an idea of wanting to keep it a little bit more serious and a little bit more ominous and things like that. And so, and so that's what came out. So because there were so many, You know, those were definitely genuine reactions and genuine things that I said, but there was a lot of other stuff mixed in there that other people didn't get to see. You know, I've been accused of never smiling and things like that. And,
1: you know, I smile a lot like you and I, you can see me, you know, I I, I have, I have noticed, I almost want to (laughs) make this the first ever video podcast just on the basis that you've (laughs) smiled so much. And it's probably more than the whole entire series, like just in the first few minutes, but yeah.
0: And, and, you know, there was, there was, there was a lot of that. And, you know, as I said, I, I enjoy the people that I work with here and I enjoy what we're doing and things like that. And, but, you know, I do have a role to play and and when, and when the time comes to be able to, to need to, to have that come across, then I, then I'll have that come across. and, And so they chose to basically paint me in that light. I've had a discussion with them and said, Hey, i to take it easy on me. I'm taking a beating here. And, and you know, that, you know, sure, those are all things I said, they didn't make anything up. They didn't ask me to do anything. And I didn't put that on. But, you know, that said, it would be nice to, to see a little bit less of the, the ornery angry <laughs> individual as opposed to, you know, who I truly am. And, and so, you know, that that's definitely a fair question. And, and what I've tried to do as well is just kind of put aside some of that because you can't help but hear outside noise about you know how you're perceived and how you look because i still want to just be my genuine self and and if that comes across the same way as it did you know the last season in season two then then so be it um i don't ever want to try and fake something I god sakes i'm not an actor you know i got i remember seeing I made the mistake. I, I've, I've insulated myself for the most part from social media, but the network wanted me to have at least one social media outlet. And so of course I, I use Twitter and, you know, after watching the first episode, I didn't know what people were going to think. And it was, I'm all, I'm not going to lie. It was a little rough. Really? It was rough to see the beating that I was taking, you know, I mean, they were not kind because I was that guy that says no. And, who the hell are you just you're just security let the big boys talk you know let the smart people talk so on and so forth and you know it, it was a little bit hard because this is all new to me i'm certainly not an actor and and one of the tweets was funny he's like you know the show's good but that security guy is a horrible actor and i'm like well thank god because i'm not an actor and uh and so you know it it has taken me a little bit to get a thick skin and just, you know, take it in context and realize that no matter who you are, uh, there's always going to be people out there that are, are want to say something negative. You know, you look, there's not an individual that's been thrust into the public eye that there's not people out. There's no one that is exempt from having, you know, less than favorable things said about them. Now I've taken the lion's share of that, but at the end of the day, you know, it's okay i i stand by who i am i stand by the things that i said i stand by the fact that you know i do have really at the end of the day everyone's best interest in mind from a safety and a health standpoint and the integrity of the ranch and so if i have to take a beating for that so be it
1: i've got a couple of questions left from my point of view then i've got some listener questions that were sent in and then i'll have okay, sure. a bit of a quick fire round so Something you touched on was relationships with other people on the ranch. Now, someone who plays a very, very, very small part in the first series, but I get the feeling is around a lot more, is Caleb, who works at yeah. the security. Now, yeah. my impression, and you can correct me on this, is that he is there pretty much as much as you guys like all the time, but just doesn't want to be on camera.
0: So, yeah, it was interesting. Um, yeah, Caleb is, oh, gosh. I I couldn't, I'll just say flat out, he is invaluable to the ranch. There is no way that I could do uh, my job without Caleb. Caleb is, he is dedicated and he is, you know, he is just, he's a great guy and he's, he's, he's just one, he's, he's my right hand man, really. At the end of the day, I couldn't do it without him. So Caleb actually, his profession is he's actually a police officer of the local county that is around Skinwalker Ranch. And so, yes, Caleb, when he is not on duty as a police officer doing his, you know, his normal peacekeeping uh, type duties and various things, then yes, Caleb spends his time, you know, as security on the ranch as well. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, I think that you will see in season two, Caleb play more of a role as far as, you know, you'll get to know Caleb a little bit better and he'll he'll be more up front. I think in the beginning with the production, as any sort of, you know, pilot type series goes, you know, this was kind of a trial thing. We didn't know what was going to come of it. It was like, we'll give it a shot and see if it gets legs. Uh, you know, they had a set, number of individuals that they were going to focus on and that they were going to basically, uh, you know, make the central, I guess, cast if you will, um, for the show. And with that, you know, Caleb was brought, you know, just to basically function as security. And then, you know, when needed and, and when he, you know, when he was in scene and, and, and had something happen, then, you know, definitely he was fine with being on camera And so I think it'll be fun uh, both for me as well as Caleb, as well as, you know, the world out there that's watching the show to get to a little bit, to get to know him a little bit better and see what he brings to the table because he is, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a smart, really smart guy. He's a former U.S. Marine and, you know, is currently, you know, a deputy sheriff of the, of the county around here and has, has made incredible, has helped us so much. Because he's helped a lot with the Bureau of Indian Affairs, um, police officers. You know, because they have to work together on a lot of cases. To where you know we have great cooperation with them, and you know he's great when someone comes to the gates and is belligerent. You know, he can get on his his police computer and find out based off of a license plate that we pick up, and you know we can make sure that that's taken care of. And then we hope that it never comes to that. But if there is a case where you know someone does have to have law enforcement brought in or you know force used against them it's nice to know that we have someone that's you know a police officer that we can have right there on site to take care of it without you know having to get either any of us in trouble or make it you know escalate into anything more than that so yeah caleb is caleb's great and it'll be fun to to have the world see a little bit more of caleb going forward
1: no that's good to hear so talking about some of those enthusiasts that you mentioned before, what are some of the most common security breaches that you get? I mean, what, what's the kind of worst stuff that you maybe could talk about has happened on the ranch? Just for a bit of background, why I ask is, like Thomas Winterton mentioned that people don't realize when they try and sneak on, there could be some area of study where they're in the middle of two or three weeks worth of an experiment and someone running across a patch of land or just breaking in totally ruins all the data. And they have to scrap it, and they don't realize it. So that's where I'm going with that one.
0: Right. So, as I mentioned, this property is it's pretty vast. It's 512 acres in in rural Utah, and so with that, um, it's impossible to secure a perimeter of that size. I mean, you can't put fencing all the way around. I mean, we have you know barbed wire fence to keep the cattle on and things like that. But if people truly want to get on the property and trespass, then, you know, then they can do so. Um, And so, you know, the most common instance is, yes, people will sneak on, you know, either they'll come over the top of the Mesa, which is a big, you know, flat plateau there um, where you can hike through and around, or they'll come from some of the other sides. You know, most people, yeah, most of the enthusiasts, if you will, are exactly that. They'll come to the front. You know, there's a turnaround area where we have a big stop sign that says, you know, don't proceed or they may get brave and come down to the gate and snap a photo of themselves in front of the gate and things like that. And at the end of the day, we know that that's just harmless enthusiasm and excitement for the place, but it's those that come on the property and they'll start shining flashlights on our cameras and our equipment, or they'll, they'll flash laser beams on the Mesa And, you know, various things like that, or they'll come trampling through. And again, you know, Eric has set up so much equipment that measures everything from vibrations into the ground down to a finite degree so that we can tell and we can coordinate with other equipment to see if there's, you know, something actually actively happening or if, you know, it's just, you know, just normal movement of the earth or normal lights in the sky and things like that. And so the amount of data that has to be poured through to pick out what is, what it could be a snowflake blowing through the wind on infrared that looks spectacular, by the way, it really does to vet that all out. So something as simple as a flashlight shining as a spot on the Mesa where we've had actual times where, you know, we've had luminous objects in the sky or the Mesa itself has glowing. to try and weed through that and determine what is, you know, human interference versus something that we need to delve deeper into and try and study and see if we can figure out what's causing that to happen is a ridiculous task. And it can take weeks on end pouring through footage and, and files and then ultimately find out that we realized it was somebody on the south end of the property shining a bright flashlight up on the side of the Mesa, as opposed to something that, you know, really doesn't have an everyday explanation. So, yeah, it, it really does mess with the scientific integrity of what's going on. It's a living laboratory. And when you have outside interferences and n- unknown people being on the property and, and we pick up movement or, you know, shapes or things like that, it really can set back, you know, pouring through that data and, and figuring out really if it's something we need to further investigate or if we just need to scrap all together.
1: Has it gotten worse since the show aired on
0: TV? Oh, exponentially worse. Absolutely. Yes. Um again, you know, we're grateful that people are 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 curious and excited about Skinwalker Ranch. But with that You know, there are individuals that feel like it because they're a fan of the show or they're an enthusiast about the paranormal or the UFO community or whatever, that that gives them license to try and have an experience of their own, even though it's private property. You know, it would be like me being, you know, a fan of a particular sports team, just going to their facility and saying, hey, I'm a fan of Manchester United, so I get to come in here and hang out with the boys, right? Yeah. As opposed to, you know, look, you know, you have to have an invitation. At the end of the day, it is private property. It's privately owned. It's a it's very expensive place to run with a lot of experiments. And so, you know, just because you're excited about something, you're a fan of something that doesn't give you, you know, necessarily the right to be able to go on there. And, and there's some people that take it to that. And so, with the notoriety to the show, there are a lot more. We call them "looky loos," if you will, that want to come check it out for themselves and have an experience for themselves. And we'll, you know, we'll try to get in in different ways. We've had equipment damaged. We've had people, you know, try to break down the keypad to the to the gate to try and be able to just drive in themselves and stuff like that. And you know, that doesn't do anybody any good, and and it makes it to where. You know the people that are just curious to want to come take a peek. We'll be nice to them. I've had conversations with some great people from, you know, all over the country. It's been amazing. People that will get in their car and drive, you know, thousands of miles just to come get a glimpse of the front gates of Skinwalker Ranch because they they're so intrigued by what they saw on television.
1: Yeah, and do any of them just want a glimpse of you at the gate or Caleb, and just yeah. want a picture?
0: <laughs> like... there there has been some of that. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it's been, you know, and and like I said, the majority of individuals have been respectful. If we tell them, look, you can't park here and you can't stay, but you know, you're welcome to get out and take a picture or whatever. Then, then yes, you know. And it's strange to me, you know. I've had people hand me whatever scrap of paper they have sitting in their car and want me to sign their, you know, sign an autograph or something like that. And and you know what, I'm happy to do so. I'm not you know, I'm not here to to be an asshole all the time and, and, you know, and try and drive people. I I realize that there is an excitement and an enthusiasm for it. Um, As long as people are respectful, then, you know, I have no problem with that at all.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the day, you are TV stars, whether you like it or not. You're (laughs) on the TV, but people watching have to appreciate you're not the Kardashians. You're there because you're doing a job and an important job. And it's finding that balance, isn't it, as well? So um, so I want to ask, Brandon uh, confirmed a few weeks ago, because we love Brandon when he's on Twitter, um, he confirmed the season two was in pre-production. That's right. He's been hidden all year anyway, which is great, because he doesn't keep many secrets, well, not on Twitter, (laughs) from from fans of the show, that it was always looking like a fall, uh, October um, debut, even with COVID-19. So what's been going on in pre-production? What's kind of happening on the ranch just now?
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. It's it's definitely different with COVID nineteen. I mean, we are fortunate here in the Uinta Basin of Utah that there really ha- have been very minimal cases of COVID nineteen. Um, we're, you know our state has different color ratings as far as you know what the safety level is as far as the virus goes and the pandemic goes, and the Uinta Basin is rated green. So that means that restaurants are open and hotels are opening and we're very fortunate because there are a lot of productions out there, you know, take the other Prometheus entertainment production is the curse of Oak Island. And they, they, they can't even get on Nova Scotia right now because Canada has shut down and doesn't want, you know, the crazy Americans coming across, which I can't say that I blame them. Um, so, but it has been different and we've had to put safety protocols in place you know, in respect to to that very thing. Because many of the production people are from different parts of the country, you know, several from California in particular. Um, you know, we've everybody's had to have a COVID screening and we take temperatures every time someone comes on the property, we take their forehead temperature and then ask them the basic questions of, of symptoms of COVID nineteen to make sure that we're not, you know, perpetuating anything or causing, you know, something that is going to cause problems for not only those of us on the ranch, but also in the outlying community, that would be the worst thing that we could possibly do. We want this to be a positive thing for the Uinta basin and, you know, for the state of Utah. And so with that, um, we definitely have put safety protocols in place production. Um, when I'm, you know, just doing my duties and I'm around other people, I have been wearing, you know, a face covering, and things like that, I know that um, you know they've had to add extra trailers and things like that that they didn't from the previous uh, year because of the social distancing aspect and everything. So everyone's being extremely cautious. We have two medical professionals um, that are on call. Ultimately, I'm the designated on-site uh, safety individual, so I have more responsibility now. Um, that where if anyone shows any sort of symptom, they come to me and then I, you know, get them in contact with our physicians to make sure that, you know, it's nothing that's going to cause anybody any harm, you know, both from a COVID standpoint, as well as just from a, you know, being on the ranch standpoint. So it's definitely different. Um, but things have been, it's been a crazy past week with you know production rolling in and all the pre-production setting things up you know the ranch looks like a different place in some areas because of you know what is required for um you know this type of a production to be in place but you know everybody's been good and we haven't had any you know bad test results come back thus far but we're going to continue to screen and we're going to take precautions you know we you may see and I don't know but uh, you may see, you know, when we have some of our meetings where we were all kind of crammed into the command center, those, some of those may take, out, take place out on the deck where we can set further apart and things like that. I don't anticipate that we will be wearing face coverings because, you know, the microphones and things like that uh, probably won't react well to that sort of thing. Um, but when we're, you know, in, in close quarters, we're definitely doing everything and we have hand washing stations set up all over the ranch um, and things like that because we're very sensitive to it but it definitely has has changed thing for things for us but our hope is that we can get some good in, some good footage and and have another you know successful uh you know filming season and in doing so uh hopefully they'll be able to edit it such that we can have a fall release date i think that's what they're they're shooting for because I know the network is starving for content because a lot of things are not in production. Um, and so hopefully that, you know, makes it so that we can, you know, maybe do, you know, a spring and a fall type of a thing or or whatever comes to be.
1: Yeah, I think for someone whose facial reactions have gained them a lot of notoriety, <laughs> those face masks aren't going to do you any favors. And they might hide a multitude of sins uh, at Travis's theories at times. So that could be a That's good or a right. bad thing for you on there. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, yeah, you're right.
1: So, last question before I move on to listeners' questions. So, I was going to ask you, but it seems a silly question, what people can expect in a season two, because the ranch could stay inactive for the next six months so what what do you hope people would see or what are the plans if nothing happened and you've got that production crew out there what what would they be expecting to film
0: so yeah that's that's the thing about it and that was actually it's interesting you mentioned that because even going into the first season you know my question was well what happens if the ranch decides not to play you know what are we going to have and we're fortunate on a couple different levels in that there is a lot of, you know, story to the property itself that, you know, I think is is very intriguing, both from the Native American standpoint of things, from the past history, and, you know, just just the general area and the property itself is, is vast. And we, I mean, the first season, you saw a fraction of the ranch. I mean, maybe a third of the property, if that, you know, because so much was happening and it seemed like every time we turned around, you know, something was happening. There's, there was a bunch of footage of stuff that we're going to retouch on in season two that we never even had time to do because there was only eight episodes. And then when, you know, near the end of filming, when we had that cow die, of course that's going to play into the narrative because of the history of the place and the circumstances of which it went. And so with that, you know we had to basically cut out a bunch of there's a lot of interesting places that we visited on the property that we never really even got to touch on in season 1 and so we'll have that and then i think also one of the criticisms that i think we've all kind of seen is is some of the follow up to some of the things that we did um because it was like a constant you know back and forth and it seemed like it was running from one experiment to the other and and so on and so forth i think that we'll be able to revisit some of the areas on the property that you know that we only kind of just briefly touched on that are that are very interesting to me and that we had some you know interesting results from previously we can dive deeper into those types of things we have some other you know we're we're deploying new equipment on the property that I think will be extremely interesting to people there's some other things that have happened since filming, I mean, people forget that this ranch continues on with surveillance and activity, regardless of whether there's a production team in town or not. And we had some really, really neat and, you know, interesting and strange things that we captured um, during the time, you know, during the winter and during time when production wasn't here that we can obviously touch on as well as that. So I think. You know, I think we have a huge storyboard of opportunity. Um, we hope that we have strange things happening when people are here on site and that we we were able to capture, you know, things that were as, as interesting as last time. But I think that we have, you know, a great backstory and a great opportunity to, to talk more about the history of the place and delve into more of that type of a thing. Um, if for some reason the ranch decides to, you know, That it's shy, if you will, but 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 if history serves true, the way that it has, as soon as you bring a whole bunch of different people in with different attitudes and different energies and whatever it is, the ranch seems to to really liven up and and things happen. And so, I have a feeling that we're going to get more of that sort of thing. But if not, I still think that it'll be it'll make for really interesting and fun television for people to watch, regardless.
1: Yeah, I look forward to that. So. I'm going to go into the listeners' questions, and I've got a few. But the first one is actually going to, I'm going to steal a moment of my own show to ask a question from a fan's point of view. Um, did you or Brandon or anyone who, who may be there or you've spoken to hear Joe Rogan's podcast from a couple of days ago? You know,
0: it's interesting you asked that. I actually listened to it last evening when he had George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell on. Is yes. that the one that you're yeah. speaking of? Yeah. Um, Jeremy Corbell, he he's, so Jeremy's a friend, um, because I met him when he came out and finished up his documentary, the hunt for the Skinwalker, when they came out and shot, you know, a little bit of footage for the tail end of that. And we've kept in contact and he's been, you know, he's been a great, you know, friend of the ranch and, and has been kind to me as well. And so when I saw that he posted that on Twitter, I thought, you know, I'll take a listen. And so, you know, Everyone's got their opinion. And I actually respect, uh, well, I respect George Knapp and I respect Jeremy Corbell very much. And, you know, I, I respect uh, Joe Rogan as well in the fact that, you know what, he's the type that wants to see evidence of things. And so he and I are kindred spirits in that way to where, you know, as I spoke about earlier, I didn't want to make things up and, and think that every bump in the night or every, you know, flash of light was an event, if you will, or, or the phenomenon or something he wants tangible evidence. And so, you know what, the fact that he says he doesn't necessarily buy into Skinwalker Ranch because the evidence has been mostly, you know, whether it's kept under lock and key by Bigelow or, you know, that a cattle being mutilated can be done by human hands. And it doesn't necessarily mean that something, you know, outrageous had happened. You know, there's strangeness behind that. And he admitted to that as well. But, you know, uh, I'm, I'm fine with him being, you know, an open-minded skeptic about it. And we're hopeful that by, you know, capturing things and, and, and more happening and hopefully being able to document those things that it will help people like, you know, Joe and, and what would have been myself before being associated with this ranch to see that, you know there really is something to it but you know it was entertaining you know it's 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 always a good listen and especially when you've got a couple of people that I consider friends and George Knapp and Jeremy Corbell on there it was you know it was definitely interesting to listen to and they covered a lot of information on that thing my head was spinning I don't know how I don't know how George Knapp can keep everything straight in his head because he was just just pounding information out there left and right on a a myriad of topics but um yeah, I, I, I was fine with it. And again, you know what? Joe has his opinion. And the fact that he is you know, skeptical by nature and wants evidence, there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's what we want. That's what I want.
1: Yeah, and, and the best thing, there's no such thing as bad press as there normally. So, well, that that's not entirely true. But usually there's no such thing as bad press. And he's got right. a massive reach on that podcast. And if that gets yeah, does. more eyes back on a show like Skinwalker Ranch from the mainstream, then same as Unidentified that's on History Channel, That that's never a bad thing. Um, right. So the first genuine listener question um, is from Kayleen, and she had a couple. Um, how do you perceive Dr. Taylor's more out-there theories? Um, Kayleen enjoys your facial uh, expressions. When can conversations <laughs> get weird?
0: <laughs> yeah, I... I'll, I'll address the facial expression yeah I kind of I've been told that a lot of times you know there's you know there's no questioning of wondering how I feel about something most of the time. It's written all over my face. Um, but as far as Travis's out there um, theories and his thoughts on things, look Travis is he's, he's a brilliant mind. I mean you don't have multiple PhDs and multiple master's degrees and work in the defense industry and the aerospace industry. Like he has without having back knowledge to it, um, and he also has a very creative mind. You know, he's written a, a series of science fiction novels and and things like that. And so I always kind of gave him a hard time about that because, as I mentioned previously, when we first met Travis, when he was you know given as someone as an idea to bring in as a scientist for the television show he was not the kindest individual when it came to his opinion on things. Um, He said, you know, his words were, I think you all are batshit crazy. And so it's been extremely fun for me and kind of fun to kind of rib him a little bit about the fact that, you know, by the time we finished filming, he didn't have explanations and, and came. And he was the one that, you know, was the voice saying there is something, that we can't explain happening here that we need to get to the bottom of that. I don't have a scientific explanation for. And so, you know what, if he has really wild ideas and exciting things, you know what, who am I to to question if, if we can even get something out of that and it leads to anything then I'm okay with it. Um, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss anybody's opinion about anything because you know, Thomas has had great insights to things and I feel like I've had good ideas that have been brought forward and things like that. And so, yeah, I mean, Travis is loud and he's in your face and he is not shy and not shy to share his opinions about things and, and what he thinks, but you know, it's fun and, and he's enthusiastic and, and now he's become, he's gone from being the biggest skeptic to one that is scratching his own head and can't wait to get back to try and get to the bottom of what's happening.
1: Yeah, we talk about this on the watch along, and myself and Dan noted from episode one how Travis was very much like, "There's no such thing as aliens. This can all be explained." You know, we can all go home in a couple of days' time. To about episode four or five, where he's basically wearing an "I love UFOs" hat and ready That's to right. storm Area Fifty-One. He is like ready <laughs> yeah. to go because he's so turned around. So it was like if you, yeah. if you ever watched Breaking Bad and how over six. Oh, seasons, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually
0: wipe, probably yeah, it, it's probably it, my favorite series of all time.
1: So you know how Walter White goes from being this mild-mannered chemist with, with cancer to being like the biggest, yep. baddest drug dealer on the planet? It's like right. Travis done that in about four episodes of TV in like 40-minute segments to go from, as you say, the, the massive sceptic to full-blown, yeah, the, the truth is out there. Like It, it was yep. great to watch, so it made yeah. for good television as well. Um, you, you've sort of touched on this within the the body of the interview, but Kayleen also wanted to know, um, she thinks you've got the toughest position on the team. And she said, "Have you done much research in an attempt to understand the phenomenon? So maybe even since you've been on the ranch and had those experiences, if you'd looked any more into things, outside of what the scientific team study? Sure.
0: So, yeah, I'm, it, it can be a difficult position to be put in just because you're kind of the no guy when you've got a bunch of gung-ho excited people that, you know, really want to try find things out. And ultimately, if, you know, you allow something to happen and people get hurt, that weight weighs heavy on me as far as that goes, but I'm grateful and, and happy to do it. Um, but as far as studying, yes, yes, I have, I've, I've, I've talked more with, um, people when it comes to, you know, looking into these are all things that previously I would have never, you know, really even and thought twice about, but you know, frequency and energy and, you know, the thoughts of, you know, my own personal take on, look, based on the way things have happened on the ranch, it doesn't, to me, seem like it's necessarily crafts showing up from different planets. To me, the way things manifest themselves and the feelings I get, it's almost like, it feels like almost an interdimensional type of a thing. So whether that's, you know, an intelligence such as ours that has learned how to utilize whether it's the energy in the Uinta basin, um, or if you want to call the dimensional realm is thin here, whether you look at that from, you know, a human spiritual standpoint or, you know, another existence standpoint or whatever it may be, you know, it's made me really open my eyes and look into more of that. And also, you know, look for other areas around the world that are maybe, Had other things like the things that we've experienced here on skinwalker ranch that take place. I think, I think there are more places very similar to skinwalker ranch. The difference is a skinwalker ranch has been studied more heavily for a longer period of time than really anywhere um, when it comes to this type of phenomenon. So yeah, that was a great question, but yes, it's definitely made me study a lot more and look into more of just, you know, possibilities of what could be happening as opposed to just okay the scientists say it's this so that's what i'm going to go with
1: awesome great answer thank you kayleen and um, we had dave from shadows of your mind magazine which is just relaunched recently and it is a free magazine 60 pages of content people should definitely be giving that given that a look um he he said uh, you've seen a lot during your time at skinwalker ranch what do you think would be your threshold point when you would say okay this is too weird enough is enough <laughs> I like that. Question.
0: Wow. Yeah. That, I mean, that, that's a good question. And I don't know. I, I don't know that I could say that I have a threshold because I haven't reached it yet. Um, but if I get to the point where, you know, I feel like, you know, my life is in danger or if it's going to cause me physical harm or it gets to the point where it's just something that is, is causing me to have You know, physical ailments, so I can't you know care for my family and and things like that. That may make me you know take a step back and say enough is enough. But as far as getting too weird, you know, I haven't seen a five foot wolf show up and try and tear a cow, tear a calf through a a gate. You know, I can't can't say what my threshold is because I certainly haven't reached it. So that one may have to be a, a wait and see type of a thing. I'm not saying that I couldn't get there. Because, you know, some of the things that have been explained could possibly have happened here, you know, that, that would definitely make you take a step back. But um, as long as I'm physically healthy and as long as, you know, I don't feel like I'm putting myself or, or the people I care about in harm or that it's going to cause me, you know, to not have a good quality of life and things like that, then, you know, I, I'll just keep going as long as they'll allow me to do so. Because I really do love this place. It's my favorite place on the planet. I love
1: it, and just before you get to that breaking point, I'm sure Brandon would buy you a tank as one last <laughs> one last attempt to keep keep you on site, keep everyone safe. Yeah, maybe so. Um, so Dan, who is also the co-host of the Skinwalker Watch Along, he's a massive fan of the show and yours. He said, "Thank you very much for your tireless efforts." Um, has anything from the ranch ever followed you home?
0: So I'm fortunate in the fact that I that I'm aware of, I haven't dealt with the whole hitchhiker phenomenon that a lot of people have. Um, I'm grateful because I I have children of my own that, you know, it would be awful if I had to expose them to, you know, something that caused them grief or fear or harm or whatever. And so for me personally, um, you know, and I'll knock on the wood that's next to me here, I have not had any sort of of that sort of thing follow me home. And as far as physical ailments, I have never had any anything happen to me on Skinwalker Ranch that has even, you know, made me feel uh sick or or bad because I've talked to many people that have spent time on the ranch that have been laid up in, you know, in bed with an illness that they can't explain for, you know, weeks on end. And so I'm I'm grateful that I have not personally had to deal with any of that that type of thing.
1: And that's good to hear because we know most famously, no doubt, there's been others, but Thomas not only had the injury and then had a recurrence of it, but he's had the the following home, the hitchhiker effect as well. with some He's had a on. lot. He's had
0: a lot of that. And I don't know if it's because he lives in closer proximity, but then I've heard of people going, you know, many states away and having had experiences like that. In fact, you know, I won't give it away, but, you know, our own Dr. Taylor has called me with a few interesting experiences, I'll say, back in Alabama. So I'll, I'll leave it at that because I don't want to say any more, but but it's definitely a thing. And uh, I'm just grateful that it hasn't caused me any sort of, of trouble on my
1: on my end of things. So even the ranch doesn't want to mess with a guy with the code name Dragon. <laughs> that's, so that's what I'm <laughs> taking from that.
0: <laughs> okay, um, you can take it from that.
1: Uh, One final listener question again from Dan before we go into the quick fire round to finish off. Um, Now you've been at the ranch for a while. Do you feel you or your approach to the ranch has changed or developed at all?
0: Yes. Yes, I do. Um, You know, even though I, I called myself an agnostic, I was more of a, I I think I was a skeptic in the beginning um, to where I was kind of like, yeah, there's nothing going on here because I hadn't experienced anything first off. And, because of the stories do sound pretty fantastic in nature. Um, And so my approach was a little bit more of a cavalier attitude as far as, you know, it is what it is. I'll come do, you know, whatever here. And, and I can do pretty much what I want to seeing people that have come on the property with that sort of attitude that are usually the ones that get knocked on their butt or get messed with the most, you know, case in point, Dr. Taylor. You know, he was pretty cavalier in his attitude as to the way he approached the ranch. And, you know, it messed with him the entire time he was here. Um, and so that plus being associated with more people and getting to know, you know, individuals that have been here on the property and having people come on, you know, I do, I do approach it, you know, as uncle Jim likes to say, and, and Jim Morse, we call uncle Jim. So if I refer to uncle Jim, that's Jim Morse. Um, Cause he's like, everybody's uncle um is that I do. I, I think I approach it with a sense of reverence more um and an attitude of, you know, I try to to put out there the energy or the feeling that I'm here to do a job. And my job is that I respect the ranch and the people that are on it. And and I have a role to protect those people. And in doing so, I think it has has really served me well as far as not having the negative experiences because I think you know, if you want to call it an intelligence, if you want to call it a spirit, whatever you want to call what's going on at the ranch, I think that it feeds off of whatever energy you put out there. And so I try to bring a positive energy. I try to leave all, you know, my worldly garbage behind when I enter the gates of the ranch and just focus on what I'm doing I'm on the property and, you know, focus on the job that I have to do here.
1: Well, that's a great answer, and I think for me the most again watching the series back for about a third time now for the show, the Larry Sespitch when he turns up in episode six, I think it's poking the nest, and just yeah. that moment where he, he says like, and I'm not religious in the slightest, but he says like a bit of a prayer and he lays down some tobacco, and just like the reverence he speaks with was really like powerful, and
0: oh, it, that that experience honestly, it it changed my experience of the summer. Um, It's unfortunate that, that there wasn't, I mean, Larry spent more time than just that brief few moments here. And in fact, off camera, um, because he didn't want it to be, you know, filmed, he actually took the time to give each and every member of the cast and the, of the production crew, you know, a native American blessing with sweet grass and an Eagle feather, you know, in his, in, in his native tongue, um, as a as kind of a protection and a blessing that you know good experiences will happen and that the negative experiences will stay away and it it absolutely was one of the most profound and special experiences I had had. In fact, you know I you know people at the end of when they saw me give him a big hug, you know at the end of of when he came and and did the the blessing on the ground where they wanted to drill and dig, um, it was there was a lot more to that because he had you know personally. He and I had had conversations and talked about various things that that really to this day I hold very dear and and will cherish for a long long time. Yeah, that, that was definitely a special moment, and I hope that we get Larry back and more of of the Native Americans of the area that are willing because there's not many that are to come onto
1: the property
0: um, to share that because I think that that really is a really cool special part of what of what Skinwalker Ranch is.
1: Yeah, for me, that was the coolest moment of the show. And he was my favourite cameo of all the people you had in every episode from outside. I loved Larry. So if we could get yeah. him back, that would be amazing. Um, so thanks again for the questions, folks. We did get more than that, but a lot of them have been answered within the body of the interview as well. So thank you very much. Um, so I'm going to move on just to finish off uh, dragon on the quick fire round. So I'm actually going to reel off some names of the cast, uh, some places, and a few other topics, and I'm just looking for a word, a couple of words, or a couple of sentences. I'm not precious on each. Just your thoughts on each of these, okay? Okay. So not trying to catch out or anything. <laughs> so the first one would be Travis Taylor. Uh,
0: enthusiastic, and and brilliant. Um, and yeah, he's he's a good guy. Yeah, I I really he really is. He's He's super enthusiastic, and he's he's very smart. And uh, I guess the last word I'll use is friend. He's definitely a friend.
1: That's good to hear. Um, Although not too friendly for season two, because obviously we want to (laughs) see you two kind of button heads again in a friendly, competitive kind of way. Hey,
0: you know what? I argue with my friends all the time, so I'm I'm sure that there's probably a good opportunity that something at some point will happen.
1: Good. I'm Scottish. That's how we communicate his argument. So that's good to hear. That's right. Uh, so the next one would be Brandon Fugel.
0: Uh, gosh, that one goes deep. Um, probably one of my closest friends. Um, just an extremely kind and generous individual who is driven beyond anyone I've ever met, and is Willing to, you know, be forthright and straightforward, and is dedicated to figuring out and putting all of his resources into uncovering or at least getting a better understanding of what's going on at Skinwalker Ranch.
1: The closest thing the planet Earth has to Bruce Wayne is Brandon Fugle, so I like (laughs) him. Um, The next one would be Eric Bard,
0: genius. Eric, personally is probably the smartest person I know. He is absolutely brilliant in so many different realms, and he is a brother. I I love Eric, and I think that Eric is the unsung hero of Skinwalker Ranch, to be honest with you.
1: Nice. Uh, next one, Jim Sagala.
0: Uh, Jim Sagala is a, a smart man. He's definitely got that east coast mentality and he's kind of can be a little bit you know in your face a little bit and you know he and i did conflict a couple of times but uh jim is also a friend and he's a he's a very smart man with you know a lot of knowledge and and a lot to add
1: awesome uh, next one former guest of the show thomas winterton
0: tom's a brother thomas is uh he is one of the hardest working people I've ever met and is dedicated beyond dedicated to Skinwalker Ranch and to the individuals associated with it. And there is nothing that I've seen yet that that guy can't do when it comes to, uh, you know, figuring things out. And he is, you know, if I say Eric's the unsung hero, that's behind the science. Um, Thomas Winterton is the lifeblood of Skinwalker Ranch and what keeps it up and running and you know day to day he keeps the place going.
1: Yeah, he's a great guy. Um Jim Morse. Uncle Jim. Uh
0: he's just you know he's he's just a kind kind man that can make friends with anybody he meets. Jim's been invaluable to the relations with both the Native Americans and the community and Uh, Uncle Jim is just, he's a dear friend, and uh, just one of the kindest souls that I know.
1: Awesome. Skinwalker Ranch.
0: Skinwalker Ranch. It is, it's craziness wrapped up in a barbed wire fence, I guess. Um, It's my favorite place on the planet where I, when I'm away, I miss it, but when I'm here, sometimes I want to get the hell away. Um it it is definitely a special place that I think holds some really incredible mysteries or answers to mysteries and questions that hopefully we can get to the bottom of. But it is a place that needs to be respected.
1: Awesome. And um, the next one would be your thoughts on CE5. CE5. So the contact method for summoning extraterrestrial craft in the sky. Oh gosh. I don't know.
0: I Honestly, I I don't have an opinion on that.
1: Honestly, I don't. That's Never had any of it tried on the site or uh, No, no we haven't. Okay. Might be interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll definitely make note of that. <laughs>
1: uh, next one would be UFOs.
0: Uh I believe in them. I believe in them now. I've seen one and I, well I've seen multiple and you know I'll take it to my grave I know what I've seen and and until someone can give me a better explanation of what I've seen with my own eyes uh UFOs are real and um I hope that we can find out more about them. Okay.
1: Um second last one would be extraterrestrials.
0: Um I would say you know, to me, an extraterrestrial would be maybe anybody not from our realm. So I think that there's definitely an intelligence at play on Skinwalker Ranch. And so I would say, um, you know, I don't, I don't know if an extraterrestrial is the little gray aliens that everyone, you know, thinks and associates with an extraterrestrial. But I, I do believe that there is other life um, outside of just what we know on this planet
1: yeah i think more and more the interdimensional multi-dimensional theories coming into play with a lot of what's going on so uh, skinwalker ranch being a big part of that and the last one i'd like to ask all my guests to finish on is their thoughts on disclosure
0: i think it's i think it's vital i think that you know i know we take the standpoint that we want to share and we want to disclose and i wish that there was more of that out there i think that there are a lot of there are a lot of questions that there are already answers to as long as people would disclose that information so i think that disclosure is important and you know as a human race and a better understanding i think it's something that more needs to happen on every level of life
1: Dragon, that is all we have time for. You've been really generous with your time uh, this afternoon, where you are, this evening, where I am. So I really do appreciate it. Um, you're not massive on social media, you've said yourself, but if people did want to get in touch with you, do you want to give out some details? Or,
0: um, I mean, I guess, yeah, I I don't post a lot. Um, I'm on Twitter at you know SWR Dragon um, is my my Twitter. Handle if you will, and so you know I try to share some things here and there and and respond when I can, but you know a lot of times I'm restricted to time and to internet service to be honest with you um, on the ranch. But I I do appreciate first off you having me on. You've been great. Uh, It's been a fun interview. I I'll do it again anytime that you see fit. And uh and I appreciate everybody that's shown such an interest in Skinwalker Ranch. And um I hope that you know. Hopefully people will listen to this sort of thing and, and get to know a little bit more of me and not just the, the Dragon character that they see scowling on TV.
1: I think they absolutely will. That's, that's been a really nice thing for me, and thank you for seeing what you said there as well. So, uh, Dragon, thank you very much for your time.
0: Yep, it has been a pleasure. Thank you.
1: really hope you enjoyed that one folks thank you very much for listening as always you can follow the show at ufo uap AM on twitter and converse with myself drop me a dm send me any feedback on the show any questions you've got for any upcoming shows any ideas for shows or for future guests as well You can follow the show, That UFO Podcast, on Facebook and the same on Instagram. And the YouTube channel, That UFO Podcast, has the back catalogue going up as well, I promise, very soon. I've got about four episodes on there. It just does take a lot of time to get those up. But again, folks, thank you very much for listening. Really hope you enjoyed the show this week. Remember, next week is Richard Lenny, and we'll be talking about the war in the skies above the UK and other countries. Remember, keep looking up, you never know what you might see. like steampunk,
0: like Alice was playing bass for the parliament fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out
1: the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a the forehead.
0: Meditated again, a state unmet, I can't imagine how he could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs, and there he was. Like, you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz... I jumped back and nearly kissed myself, and then I climbed out the window after the elf, and I woke up in my bed, and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red, I helped up to my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, and they thought it was my
1: toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should in therapy, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me.
0: Consider your heart. Consider time. Consider your space. Consider your lies. Consider your life. Consider. Your